Hey, guess who's back? How y'all doing? Y'all good? I hope so. As for me, y'all know how it is. One day chicken, next day bone. Anyway, on today's episode, we'll talk about why I won't go see Queen and Slim. We'll talk about why you need to stay at home if you're sick. And we'll talk about Rakim's memoir, Sweat the Technique. Ready? Let's get into it. Okay, so y'all, did y'all see Queen and Slim yet? Okay, I have not. And I have no plans to go see it. Why? Because I already know how it ends, fam. Okay, now here y'all come. Biblio, it's not about the ending. It's a powerful, heartbreaking commentary on race relations in this country. Listen, my entire black ass life is a powerful, heartbreaking commentary on race relations in this country, fam. But, but, I mean, this is how y'all sound in my head. But, but it's the blackest movie ever made. No, Superfly was the blackest movie ever made. And not only was Priest still alive at the end, but he cussed out a handful of racist white police officers right in the face, then drove off in a big ass car while Curtis Mayfield played in the background. A Cadillac at that. So, no. Nah. Anyway, I did not see Queen and Slim because I already know how it ends because I watched the news. Listen, what is the what is the story? Two black people, young black people end up killing a cop and then go on the run. And they become these mythical, magical hood heroes being cheered on by ragtag yet somehow endearing Casts of Negro archetypes as they duck and hide from the authorities? Come on, fam. I already know what happens. Even if it doesn't happen exactly the way I think it will, I know how this ends, fam. This is Hollywood we're talking about here. And there are few things those sweaty alcoholic film execs love more than a graphic Negro death by gun violence. The fact that an openly gay black woman wrote and directed it only makes them feel like they have credibility. And listen, I love me some Lena Waithe. I've been a super fan since her Thanksgiving Day episode of Master of None, so I'm no stranger to her work. By the way, if you have not seen that, you need to see it. It's on Netflix. The show is called Master of None, and it is the episode from, I believe it's the second season. It's called Thanksgiving Day. You need to see it. She won an award for it for a reason, fam. Okay. But yeah, so I'm a fan of hers. But what I'm not a fan of, however, is more of the same. Ultimately, this, you know, more black suffering, more black misery. What's worse is the plot line we keep getting fed that says that black lives can't contain joy without trauma. I mean, as black movies are concerned, we've come a long way, but I'm still waiting for us to turn the curve where nonviolent movies about the black experience are more of the rule and not the exception. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, if I ever see it, it will be in the comfort of my own living room where I can fight the air like Cuba Gooding Jr. away from prying eyes, you know, kind of like how I do when I watch the news. On to something lighter. So, 
We're officially in flu season now, and something is definitely going around. According to the CDC, flu season begins in October and reaches its peak between December and February. Now, whether you believe in getting the flu shot or not, and we're not going there today, we're not going to discuss that. One thing we can all agree on is that along with frequent hand washing, personal space is an effective flu deterrent. Because in spite of what Big Mama said, you can't catch the flu from walking outside without a scarf around your neck. You can, however, catch that foolishness from Barbara in payroll, who, aside from not washing her hands when she uses the restroom, she doesn't cover her nasty mouth when she sneezes. And she's walking around the Christmas party, draped in tinsel and wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, handing out Christmas cookies she made over the weekend and deep, deep inside her rib cage. Hordes of malevolent microorganisms are engaging in a violent, wet, nasty festival of doing it. And there you are within shooting range. It will only be a matter of hours before one of those little microorganisms shows up and gentrifies your body and takes you down. And here's the problem. Even though Barbara from payroll is exhibiting the Christmas spirit, truth be told, she hasn't been feeling well for days. In fact, earlier that morning, she even debated coming into work. And as a salaried worker, she had PTO stored up, so she could have called in, but she didn't. Barbara has had a sore throat and muscle aches for about three days now, and she's been struggling to stay awake at work. And those are just some of the symptoms she's had. According to the CDC, the other ones are fever, chills, headache, runny nose, cough, and muscle aches. So now, because Miss Barbara Patient Zero from payroll refused to stay home, she has infected the entire department at the Christmas party. People, please stay home when you're sick. Oh, I can hear y'all already. Everybody ain't got PTO and some people can't afford to miss work and blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about, I need y'all to pay attention. I'm talking about folks like Barbara who have paid time off and don't use it. Instead, they come to work and sneeze all over everything. And now look at us falling like dominoes to the virus. I just saw an article in Newsweek, which was subtitled, ironically, Five Reasons to Stay Home for the Good of All Mankind. According to this article, about 25% of Americans continue to show up to work even when they're sick. Not surprising, the percentage of men who do that is much higher than women. It's like 33% to women 17 The main reason for this is because of fear that the boss wouldn't look at them favorably if they called in. There is also the likelihood that folks can't afford a visit to the doctor or the ER. Understandable. And I realize that most people aren't out here trying to get people sick. They are coming in because they have to, which is a damning indictment on the culture of the American workplace, not to mention the raggedy healthcare system. But keep in mind the following reasons why you should stay home. Number one. Most offices are closed in spaces with recycled air systems, which create perfect environments for quickly spreading viruses. This also means that you, Barbara and them, and all of y'all at Dunder Mifflin will just keep passing that mess back and forth ad infinitum until one of y'all quits or dies. 
Some of your coworkers, like me, have compromised immune systems. And your little raggedy runny nose could put one of us in the hospital for a week. Uh, the next one, sick people, sick people, excuse me, don't work as efficiently as healthy people, period. So while your boss may be impressed by your dedication, it may actually be costing him money. Lastly, and this is important, sleep is a powerful drug, okay? It can boost your immune system and help your body fight off those intruders. So take that PTO when you're sick. It's important. And take your vacation too while we're here. Take your vacation too if you have them, if you have one. I just heard a statistic on Good Morning America that said that over 40% of Americans don't use their vacation or sick time at all. According to a Forbes article from 2018 written by Victor Lippmann, there are several reasons why folks don't take time off, including, and this is the biggest one, my boss would be mad. But once again, employees who take time away from work are more productive and cost the company less money. As for you, time off from work is better for your sleep and even for your heart. Studies show that men who are at risk for heart disease, who neglect taking their vacation for more than five consecutive years, would be more likely to have a heart attack. Women who take a vacation once every six years, my God, today. Is there somebody out there not taking a vacation for six years? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, women who take a vacation once every six years are more likely, eight times more likely to have a heart attack. Of course, I know there are levels here and all kinds of exceptions to the rule. And I also realize that an even deeper discussion needs to be had regarding the culture of the American workplace and the state of American health care. But for now, we are our most important asset and we need to be better to ourselves. Feel me? Okay, so uh, let's move on and let's talk about Rakim's memoir, Sweat the Technique. Okay. First of all, I just need y'all to know how geeked I was about this book when I heard it was coming. I've been more than a fan of Rakim. Okay. I basically credit him for making me a fan of the entire genre of hip hop back in the eighties. As a matter of fact, you remember that movie Brown Sugar and how at the beginning there's this montage where Sanaa Lathan is asking all of these different hip hop artists, when did you fall in love with hip hop? Well, when I fell in love, it was because of an Eric B. and Rakim joint, Eric B. as president. I had to be about 15 years old, just starting high school. And the VFW had this hall that was close to downtown Milwaukee that was in the basement of this huge ancient building that is now called the Rave. Well, this guy named Bruce H. the H-bomb, he was a DJ and a promoter. Uh, he used to throw these parties in the in that basement hall, right? And he had these girls who called themselves the H-bomb angels who used to dress alike and walk around the perimeter of the party and make up dance routines and stuff, kind of like a, um, like a sorority, right? Um, and these parties would be packed. You hear me? So I remember on this particular day, it was cold outside and there was a line waiting to get in. So when we finally got to the glass doors, they were fogged up from all of the people inside. But as soon as I got inside the doors, I heard that bass line, do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. And it just so happened to be timed, right? When I came down the stairs, turned a corner, and there was this long hallway. And at the end of the hallway was a set of double doors, and they were open. And deep down in, you know, back 
in that room, I could see like lights, you know, different color lights flashing and like dark, you know, bodies kind of dancing around or whatever. And as soon as I came through that doorway, I heard, I came in the door. I said it before. I never let the mic magnetize me no more. And man, listen, I was hooked. Right. So fast forward to 2019 and I hear about this book. I was super geeked. And I got to say, while I didn't really learn anything groundbreaking about Rakim as a person, he gives some really good insight into how he crafted his unique style of writing and delivery. He even talks about how he equates his style with percussion and how he would often put the emphasis on words in different places in order to like play with rhythm and create a beat with his words. One of the interesting things about him is that he almost didn't become a rapper and was actually trying to be an athlete, a football player, to be exact. I wonder what hip hop would have looked like without someone like Rakim, who basically changed the cadence of emceeing. Because y'all remember, before him, everybody was yelling, broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stage. You know, it was everybody was yelling. You know, LL was yelling about his radio and jumping up on top of amps and you know, on top of parked cars, everybody was yelling, right? And then this dude showed everybody they could be cool and still be cold. You know what I'm saying? One of the other things I learned from Sweat the Technique was that Rakim originally recorded with Marley Marl in the Queensbridge Projects and that Marley kept trying to get Rakim to get more amped while he was rapping because he was used to, you know, working with LL and those kind of guys and they were all loud and, you know, yelling and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, here's this guy. And he actually accused Rakim of being like a lazy MC, you know? So I thought that was interesting, but in all honesty, the, the structure of this book is not what I expected. It's written more like a handbook or a textbook for aspiring MCs than it is a memoir. Sure, there are spots where he recounts stories about his childhood and his family, but mostly it's a detailed breakdown of some of his lyrics and how he wrote them. So a fair warning, if you're looking for a memoir, this is what you're going to see. Otherwise, it's not bad. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in again. But before I go, I want to remind you, that the little pro, little podcast, I was about to say little, little podcast or whatever is now available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Stay tuned for the next episode where I will do a year in wrap up and a review of the best books I read in 2019. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye.